You're listening to the Fan Garage Sports Podcast with C.P. Thomas. Welcome to TFG Sports Podcast. I'm your host, C.P. Thomas. This is the final edition of our special episode with Ayaz, who is in Adelaide for the first ever day-night test. Today we discuss where the day-night test culture is headed and also the upcoming India-South Africa test match. Ayaz also made a visit to the Drawn Bradman Museum and we get to hear more about it. Ayaz, the euphoria might be over now over the first day-night test match and I'm sure things have settled down. What kind of response is there from Cricket Australia? Cricket Australia is extremely excited. I think they've seen this as a as a triumph of their own initiative because remember, uh, not many countries were willing to even take up this uh, this proposal. Uh, the ICC, ICC has been trying to work on it for a few years now. Cricket Australia, I think Cricket Australia has been more sensitive than any other cricket board where improvisations and innovations are concerned. Remember, Knight Cricket also started here with Kerry Packer. That's and true. they are... They are very, uh, you know, kind of concerned about the fact that test matches, even in this series, the crowds at Brisbane and Perth were dismal. And, uh, you know, so therefore, uh, uh, it was clear that they needed something to uh, keep test cricket going because apart from England-Australia test matches, the Ashes contest, the others were dying out. Uh, okay, when India comes here, you get Indian supporters coming in droves, but not much beyond that. So, Cricket Australia took this initiative and after all, you know, the New Zealand players were not willing to play, the Australian players were unhappy and they finally offered a $1 million purse okay. uh, for the, for the you know, to be divided 60-40, 60 for the winners, 40 for the losers in case of a result and 50-50 in case of a draw, which is what finally, you know, as, as we say, that money makes the mare go round. Yeah. Everybody agreed. <laughs> That's <true>. Australia, <laughs> the Australian players got uh, the, the larger share of the, the booty. Uh, but New Zealand players were not unhappy receiving 40% or $400,000. And uh, was McCallum happy at the post-match conference? To be honest, I think he was unhappy. I think basically the New Zealand team or the players, uh, you know, they are very reticent. They are not confrontationist. They are not uh, the kind of guys who will go and shout their protests. But a protest was made. I mean, uh-huh. this was highlighted in the press conference by McCallum. And I think uh, New Zealand cricket has taken it up with the ICC uh, in, in a very polite way saying please explain how and why that uh, you know that goof up happened with yeah. and I belong uh, not that it can change the results but they are hoping that some review of the review system mm-hmm. and of the third empire uh, should be done and did they mention about the substitute fielding uh, the Masio coming in because even that was another thing that got bad. Well, I think that was actually a mistake or, a, or an error by the Australian cricket team rather than uh, uh, you know anybody else. It's not that in the past there have been no non-first-class cricketers who've gone and fielded as substitutes in a in a Test match in India. If I remember correctly, because so many of their players fell ill, New Zealand team. They had uh, former captain Jeremy Coney uh, and, uh, and a journalist, Rod Nicholson, going out and fielding in India. So, uh, it's happened in the past. But why should it happen in this day and age is, is yeah. the issue. Because when you're playing at, uh, at the headquarters of South Australia Cricket in Adelaide, surely there are some, at least if nothing else, there are some under 25 or under 26 players who can be retained even if the others have to be released for playing Sheffield Shield. I think that's the big lesson. And Cricket Australia... Uh, finally admitted and the selectors that maybe they had made a mistake. 
But it's really surprising that when everyone thought all the controversies would be around the pink ball, we had a DRS and a substitute actually making news more than the pink ball. <laughs> you know, the uh, test matches uh, or international sport is never without incident. So, you know, as, whichever match you look at in whichever sport, there will always be something unusual or new which comes up, which is either provocative or controversial. And this is exactly what happened here. And what was Macklem's take on the pink ball itself? I think pink ball is a, is a matter of, a, 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 of a, you know, still debate and discussion. I think it is going up for review with uh, the MCC. Uh, John Stevenson, who's in, M- in the MCC, and who's worked a lot towards getting this kind of ball made, uh, they want to, as I understand it, do a little more work on it so that we all know what has happened in the floodlights. It swings yeah. a lot more than it would otherwise. And there is a feeling that it perhaps tilts the game too much in the bowler's favor. So whether, you know, what... They'll decrease the lacquer or they'll increase the seam. Uh, it remains to be seen. But uh, what they are clearly convinced about is that pink ball has an attraction for spectators, especially television viewers, okay. because it contrasts well with the with the grass. Uh, it's not. It makes for good viewing. That's that's been the consensus. And I'm sure Smith also agreed on the same aspects. Yes, I think look the players who had kind of expressed reservations were people like Mitchell Stark. Uh, he he unfortunately got injured halfway through the match and didn't bowl in the second innings. Now he was asked that question whether you know he still felt the same way about the pink ball because he had thought that the pink ball uh, wasn't going to help players like him. Mm. And he's, he he didn't say he was not full of praise for the pink ball, but he said, look, at the end of the day, it made the match a success, and that's important going ahead. And finally, even players they need to know as you know if the if there's growth in spectatorship, it helps them grow also. Uh, in terms of uh, reaching out to audiences and obviously where monetary benefits are concerned. Yeah, but this whole success factor has been completely tied on to one thing that there were so many numbers of spectators and the TV viewership has at a high. But giving the novelty factor that it was the first one, do you see that continuing or waning? Now that is going to be the big challenge. I completely yeah. agree with you. See, this was the first time this is a novelty for most people. Uh, and therefore, and Adelaide is a great, you know, center for sports. Adelaide has always attracted crowds more than any other center in Australia. Yeah. So that's obviously a plus point. Uh, the 10th match or the 15th match may not have the same novelty value after all countries have tried it out, say in, in the UAE or in India or the West Indies or England. The challenge will also, will still remain of getting, you know, Results. How do you market test cricket is still going to be the biggest challenge beginning for the administrators. I think some part of this we got answered here. For instance, uh, you know, tickets were priced separately. Uh, people would come in for two sessions okay. instead of buying a whole day ticket. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 50% off for kids under a certain age. I think it was under 16. Uh, you know, $20 ticket for two sessions. This is the first session. You still come post-lunch, watch two sessions. Or you come even for the final session to watch the game under lights. There was a ticket available for that. Now, you know, it's, it, these are kind of things that will have to be done to ensure uh, the financial viability as well as, you know, spectator interest. And I think Cricket Australia has already gone ahead and said that they would have two more the next season. They have mooted it. They have to, uh, you know, 
you, you see, they have to get a buy-in from wherever the test matches are going to be held, because every match can't be held at Adelaide. Yeah. So uh, you know, maybe one of one of the matches next season will be in Adelaide, one somewhere else. So they'll have to get a buy-in from either Western Australia Cricket Association or New South Wales or Victoria or wherever they want to pitch the test. So, but I think it will go through because in Australia uh, they have kind of sensed the uh, uh, very positive feel about uh, you know the, the the night cricket and the pink ball. Yeah, even the ICC has put out a release saying the first one was a success, and but unfortunately none of the other boards seem to have officially acknowledged this or even commented on anything of about how this would go. Which is a bit surprising. I would say it's the internal dynamics of the ICC within the ICC. Uh, so, for instance, frankly, I'm uh, a little uh, surprised, in fact, astonished that uh, somebody like Shashank Manohar was not here to watch this match. Because not only is he, is he the BCCI president, but he's also the chairman, ICC chairman. Yeah. And this is the first ever day-night match. So, at least for the future of the sport, where it's headed... Uh, I would have thought that he could have been here for at least the first couple of days, mm-hmm. go back if he, if necessary. Uh, some Pakistan cricket officials were here because they're already in, you know, in uh, extended conversations for next season's match here. The West Indies uh, cricket board, West Indies cricket is here. They're, they're here already for their series. Uh, South African officials are already talking to the Australian officials. So, yes, I think, look, there's, I can understand the sentiment of let's wait and watch. But mm-hmm. having watched it, now, uh, you know, this is exactly what happened when night cricket first started under Kerry Packer and, you know, floodlights and colored clothing. Mm-hmm. It was called pajama cricket and they yeah. said, nobody will come and watch this. And then it caught on and then everywhere it became, you know, colored clothing and under floodlights. So, I don't see how and what other thing, uh, how, they, how other countries can negate some uh, night cricket. Because the fundamental thing is it allows people to come in late in the day after they finished their work, which was always the problem for test cricket because people didn't have the time. Yeah. Now, if night cricket allows you the facility of time, then I can't see any country not wanting to be a part of it. And with the crowds at the recent India-South Africa series, I think we should have been at the forefront of doing something about it. Oh, absolutely. I think, look, even now, even if the uh, night cricket is adopted everywhere, for... Test cricket to survive and succeed financially, it is extremely important that India succeeds because the largest number of, you know, cricket followers are in India. The eyeballs are the most in India. The money for the sport is the largest in India. So it cannot, you know, looking at, at, at it holistically, it cannot succeed without India succeeding. Yeah, but do you think India will play spoil sport again because they know they have the power to hold on to things just like the DRS? No, I don't. I don't think that they have the power to, uh, or they would want because uh, they also not getting spectators at the ground. You see, what is? I mean, you can sell your television rights and get a good price and make profits, but mm-hmm. at some stage, you know, the television broadcaster is going to say, "Where is, where is the audience? I'm not getting enough spectators." Or the sponsors, in stadia advertisers mm-hmm. are going to say, "I'm not getting value for money," and so on and so forth. So I don't see uh, it. You know, being a kind of a standoff situation for too long, if there is a standoff situation. Yeah, because the broadcaster in Australia, Channel 9, too, they were very gungo about this, and I think that was a prime reason why this succeeded. 
Yes, you see now worldwide, even in India, uh, these are private broadcasters. It's not a government broadcaster. In the good old days, there used to be Doordarshan. Yeah. You know, and the government would underwrite or subsidize everything. But that's not the case any longer. Uh, a private channel like Ten uh, Star Sports or Ten Sports or Sony or whoever gets the rights is not going to be happy uh, with with regulations or with the reluctance of the board to say. No, we will not do the night cricket because we don't want to do it. I don't think that uh, you know stubbornness is going to be acceptable. Yeah, and having to cut angles in shots where they don't have to show the empty seats, you know, all the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, you can't have you can't have a Grand Slam tennis event with Federer and Djokovic are playing and nobody is watching at the ground. Yeah, in fact, for this weekend, Cricket Australia. Actually, Trump the A League also, which has a huge following out there. You had yes. some. Yeah. So I mean, that could be attributed to novelty value. Yeah. I don't see. Uh, you know, I don't. I think it would be naive to believe that every time we we'll get forty-three thousand spectators coming in or forty-seven thousand. Mm-hmm. But even if you consistently get twenty, twenty-five thousand, that's a lot of people. You know. Yeah, um, but some of the, yeah, but some of the fan comments that I read, the whole thing was, you know, you could catch some cricket in the evening. It was not that you came home and there was nothing to watch. That is fundamental. That is fundamental to the success of day night cricket, whether it is one day cricket or it is test match yeah. cricket. And I think the, the the formula was extremely well established by the you know success for almost thirty years of yeah. ODI cricket before T Twenty came in, and T Twenty is also played under lights with coloured clothing. Yeah, let's just hope that India picks up soon. Very interesting in some of our venues, at least. Yeah, and and I think also that by just India across the world, most international venues or stadia now have facilities for floodlights. Uh, they've really been built for this kind of a, a scenario. So why shouldn't we make use of it? Stay tuned. We'll be back with more from Ayaz. Now, if you want to listen to some brilliant indie music from all over the country, it's really simple. You can find me on Made in India. It's madeinindia.in. My name is May, and it's spelled M-A-E-D. Now, I've had some great artists on the show, including the likes of Nikhil D'Souza, The Cognac Net, Last Remaining Light, Tejas Menon, The Other People, Alicia Pace, Lakshmi Bomb, Vasudha Sharma, Ankur Tiwari, and so many more. Now, if you want to subscribe, you can go to iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcast app or you can find me on my website that's madeinindia.in that's M-A-E-D or on Twitter and Facebook on Made in India. Hi, I'm CP Thomas. You're listening to the TFG Sports Podcast. We are back with Ayaz here. Coming back to the test match and of course the India-South Africa season. There seems to be now a whole shift towards having pitches which help bowlers and the whole swing towards the bowlers helping matches end within say three or four days while the super batsmen who used to hang around for one one and a half day and score these double centuries going away. You know, I don't quite agree with it. If you look at the number of triple centuries made in the last 15 years, out of 28 in the history of the game, mm-hmm. 13 have come in the last 15 years. Triple okay. centuries. So it's not that big scores are not being made. Uh, in this series itself, at Perth, there were you know more than 1,100 runs scored. Australia making 290, somebody making you know the three other or four other guys making hundreds. So it's not that big scores aren't happening. It's just that batsmen are scoring runs quicker, faster, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore sometimes what happens is matches end in four days. Also, there is nothing which suggests that five-day matches means 
the match would finish in the last session or the last hour of the fifth day you know mm-hmm. ultimately uh, there is no guarantee for that i mean a lot of things can happen in a test match suddenly your team might lose five wickets four wickets in one session mm-hmm. and therefore it becomes you know uh, i i think the the contest becomes exciting if batsmen score runs as well as bowlers take wickets that's really the crux in the day night match what we saw is that the bowlers had the upper hand which is not such a bad thing so to in the series against south africa and india the only thing i would say the big difference is that south africa versus india the pitches were perhaps a little too lopsided in favor of spin bowlers so you had you know in the third over of the day a spinner coming on to bowl while in australia in the day night match even the spinners got some help the ball there was enough bounce there was turn uh some like nathan lyon picked up four wickets yeah. in the match which is not bad so to with mark craig and uh, a youngster santner so while the swing bowlers and the seam bowlers were on top mm-hmm. it's not that the spinners were completely out of the game so that's been my argument in the series against south africa between south africa and india uh the fast bowlers were completely out of the equation and it was just the spinners who were you know uh, who who could just land on the on a particular spot and the wicket would do everything now i'm all in favor of uh, home team getting pitches to their advantage there's nothing wrong in that but do you see teams carrying it a bit too far where this home advantage works but it has always been done i mean you know if you look at the records in south africa and durban especially uh, even a team like australia has got bowled out for 45 at one stage they were 25 for 7 or 23 for 7 and in danger of being bowled out for the lowest ever score in england you know of the five ashes tests three were decided in the first session yeah. of the test you know because australia just couldn't cope with the swing and seam and they were 100 for 8 or something is that 100 for 6 so matches have got decided by conditions in other countries also in the past you know i mean the visiting teams to australia would get hammered at brisbane and end up looking, losing the series psychologically there itself so you're saying it's more in the mind than in temperament and technique that visiting teams are yes, losing i i think what's happened in the india south africa series and this is my opinion because uh, i watched a little bit i didn't see the third match is that actually both teams have batted badly yes the pitches were underprepared helping the spinners but both teams india has not batted well either they've been struggling yeah. to make 200 and they are supposed to be very good players of spin there is a certain amount of desperation that they've shown which could have been induced by a lot of exposure to t20 cricket now mm-hmm. so you turn your arm but what surprises me and this is where i feel that you know it's not enough just to blame indian curators or the indian team management south africa is the top ranked team in the world in the last 9 years they haven't lost a series yeah. anywhere overseas they they've come here almost as if you know their mind has been blanked out mm-hmm. on the same pitch where india is making 200 you would expect them to make 180 200 220 they're getting bowled out for 75 or 79 and to lose a low scoring match by 125 runs is i think a shocker do you see that continuing into the third test now or will they have snapped out of it difficult to say i think they'll be under more pressure i think india will be wanting to win 3-0 Uh, and the little bit that i know of uh, shastri and kohli mm-hmm. uh, you know they they love success they love to be on top they love to dominate uh, when they are speaking to the to the media or they playing in the field they have a, mm-hmm. they have a aggressive side to their personality uh, the south africans will be under pressure because if they can pull one back 
Yeah. Then you know at least there's some uh, consolation. Otherwise, if they lose three zero, you know there might be a lot of consequences, including for the captain Nasheem Amla. He might lose the captaincy. A couple of guys might lose their places in the team. All kinds of things will happen in South Africa. Coming back to Hashim, Hashim and Faf, I think their uh, failure has been a defining factor for South Africa, and they are quite experienced. I don't see why they should have come in with a mindset where they can't take on the Indian bowlers. Absolutely, I mean Hashim Amla has got a fantastic record against India, even mm. in India. So it's not that he's not played here earlier; he doesn't know, know the conditions. Faf Dutrasi has been playing uh, for many seasons in the IPL. Uh, and at Chennai, where actually the, even in a 20-over game, the spinners were dominating. So it's not that he is not played in these conditions. It's just that I think the pressure and the tension of a Test match, of a series, the burden of being the number one side, mm. and then coming up against and you know, let's give credit to people like R. Ashwin. You yeah. may have a turning track, but it doesn't mean you can take 22 wickets. You still take some doing. Do you see him to be leading the bowling attack for India, not just? On doctored pitches like what we have now, but going ahead, even abroad. Of course, look at what he did in Sri Lanka. I mean, you know, uh, so I, when when people are uh, you know castigating the Indian team for on succeeding on doctored pitches, mm. uh, yes, even in Sri Lanka the pitches help spinners. But over there we came back from zero one down to win the series two one. So you beat Sri Lanka and Sri Lanka, you beat South Africa and India. I think this is a terrific achievement and the guy who's been in the forefront, in the vanguard has been R. Ashwin. In Sri Lanka and in India, he's been the dominant bowler right through and I think he's really become, in my opinion, the finest exponent of spin bowling in the world now. But what happens if you go to the England, South Africa, Australia kind of pitches and then you suddenly see a vacuum on the top for any opening bowling attack? Actually, we've got a plethora of fast bowlers. You know, some of them have been injured, but so are fast bowlers in Australia injured. Mitchell Stark has walked off, Mitchell Johnson has retired. So it's not easy being a fast bowler, certainly, in today's day and age because there is, you know, you play T20 leagues here and there. You play uh, one-day cricket, then you play test cricket. There's a heavy toll taken on body. Uh, and therefore, breakdowns are inevitable. You need to have a pool like Australia has done quite successfully. They've got seven or eight bowlers who they keep rotating around. And mm -hmm. they have to do the same. I think India's fast bowlers, they're all very young. I mean, even the uh, oldest of them, Ishan Sharma, is not quite 30 still. Yeah. So, you know, it's just that they need to show a lot more self-belief and confidence when they are bowling overseas. Uh, talking about plethora of bowlers, I think we have this problem in the middle order also with Rahane, Pujara, Rohit Sharma. Rohit always waiting for Pujara to fail and then come in. Where do you see that uh, going in? I actually think we've got a fairly settled uh, batting lineup. Uh, we've got uh, Murli Vijay, who I think is a fine opening yeah. batsman. In my opinion, the best after Gavaskar and Sehwag that I've mm -hmm. seen in a long, long time. And uh, we've got Virat Kohli, we've got Rahane, we've got Pujara, who look almost settled, mm. you know. In the, the, the Shikhar Dhawan has had a rough time, but we've already got a backup, so to speak, in KL Rahul. Yeah. And uh, Rohit Sharma, yes, he remains an enigma. When he's good, he's brilliant. When he's bad, he looks terrible. Mm. So he needs to sort his career out as a test player. What's your take on the third test if you're looking at the first two tests and 
you still think that there are demons in the South African batsmen minds? I think the demons are only in their minds. I don't see them getting a you know a fast track. Certainly not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if they get a fast track, I don't know what what good will it be for them because uh, you know Dale Steyn is not playing. The other bowlers are looking knackered. So I would imagine it's going to be another turner. If not a dust bowl, it will be a slow turner. Not easy to. Uh, for for fast bowlers and certainly not easy for their batsmen to make runs. So the pressure will be entirely on on South Africa. India will be very very eager to win three zero. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this break. You can listen to Cyrus Says from our apps on iOS, Android, or our website cyrussays dot in. You can also listen to services like iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting softwares. It's cyrussays dot in. And we are back with Ayaz. Ayaz, I'm sure you made your pilgrimage to the Bradman Museum. Yes, I have. I mean, you know, you can't come to Australia and not make the pilgrimage. So this is the Bradman Galleries that you have in the uh, Adelaide Oval, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I went there on the last day of the match, as it turned out to be the last day, and then uh, I went again yesterday. Uh, I went on actually on a tour of the Adelaide Stadium, and okay. this, you know, these are things that. One needs to learn from the Australians. So, for in India, for instance, in India, uh, there's nobody, there's no conducted tour of Eden Gardens or Wankhede Stadium. Yeah. There's so many great things that have happened. We just don't know how to market our own stuff. Uh, we don't know how to create a legacy. So, the Bradman Galleries here uh, gives you a snapshot into Bradman's life. There is a uh, there's a picture gallery. There's okay. a uh, a, a film which keeps showing continuously. It's a 10 or 15 minute film where you can sit down and watch it. Okay. Uh, it shows Bradman's passage as a youngster right to the time he retired, including body line. So oh. it's a, you know, a snapshot into his history within 15 minutes as an AV, audiovisual. You've got a, a, a kind of a recreation of the drawing room from his house where he had a, you know, a gramophone player, a seti, Mm-hmm. On the radio, which he used to sit down and listen to. Now, these are things which are fantastic. Imagine if you are in something like this in the Vankere with a Gavaskar or a Tendulkar yeah. or a Vijay Merchant, you know, things from their homes or their lives. It mm-hmm. would be of such great value, which is unfortunately not there. And this is very different from, mm-hmm. say, the Bradman Museum in Baurel, which is just uh, about an hour, hour and a half from Sydney. Okay. Baurel was the place where he was born. So they and the Baurel Oval where he played as a kid. Has been preserved as a ground for the Bradman Museum, okay. uh, where people can actually go and play matches. You know, so it's a it's a fantastic experience. So uh, yeah, and Adelaide is the place he migrated to when he became a uh, first class cricketer or a Test cricketer. He came and settled here, played for South Australia, and lived here and died here. So if you come to Australia, mm-hmm. a you cannot miss Bradman's influence uh, yes. wherever you go, mm-hmm. but. Also if you come to Adelaide, it becomes stronger. And finally, what I did was I went to a bookshop and I picked up an old book oh. on Batman by A.G. Moyes for ten dollars. Brilliant. I hope I hope it will give me it will be worth a lot more when I come back to India. I know it will be very difficult to zero in on some favorite things, but in the museum, what actually attracts you the most each time you go back? So I liked uh, the picture. There's a whole wall which they've created with uh, newspaper headlines. Oh. Uh, Badman, you know, so there were headlines from papers from England, papers from Australia, which 
in a in a nutshell at one glance you get a, an idea of how much he meant to people and these are all front pages okay either the front page or the back page which is the front page for sports and uh, you know each one of them is screaming out his name in the headline and it just tells you the kind of impact he had on the sport uh, and on his country is there something which runs you through the 29th centuries that is scored there is not uh, you know a run through to his 29th century i mean there is a whole uh, again another wall where all his records are listed mm-hmm. so there'll be 6996 runs at 29th century and a first class average of 95 point something all that is mentioned there okay then there are lots of pictures of him uh, both informal and in the green baggy and uh, yeah i mean it's it's a it's a gallery but you can easily spend about an hour there uh including watching that audio visual and it is something that will is memorable you'll never forget it anything about sachin meeting him no except that sachin had met him in adelaide i think in 1998 when he came <laughs> here uh so sachin and won who were the two players yeah. met him on his 90th birthday oh yeah but uh, they haven't put up any picture or anything about that no i there is no picture of sachin that i saw in the galleries here uh, i i think we need a such in gallery out here soon yes i think so you should have a word with ravi shastri on that but ravi shastri is only team director you need to have to have somebody need to talk to shashank manohar or somebody like that to get things organized great thanks as all right keep it take care thank you bye bye thanks everyone for listening into the special podcast on the pink test in adelaide We hope you continue listening to us as we bring you more sports on the TFG Sports podcast. Subscribe to TFG Sports podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at the Fan Garage or facebook.com/thefangarage. Thank you.